Welcome to the All Things Nintendo podcast. I'm Brian Shea from Game Informer, and this is a weekly podcast to discuss all the biggest news and games from the world of Nintendo. We're currently on Nintendo Direct Watch, but unfortunately it does not appear to be happening this week, so we are left to our own devices. It's been a bit of a weird news week, and we do have some heavy hitters to chat about, but the main segment, we were kind of just like, well, what are we going to do here? So we're going to actually celebrate the 25th anniversary of one of the most beloved Nintendo franchises of all time. That is right. We're going to talk about the making of and the legacy of the original Mario Party game. Joining me for that is Wicked Good Gaming's Dominic Mahoney. Dom, how are you doing? Doing pretty good. Thanks for having me back on. Happy to be a recurring guest on my favorite gaming podcast that I don't produce. Um, you know, happy to be back and looking forward to talking some Mario Party. Absolutely. How about them Pats? Listen, let's not talk about it, all right? We're both on the golf course together. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, everybody's got their own, you know, the, the Ravens just, they they punch their ticket to Cancun a little bit later. That's all. Yeah, man. Right. Like, so I, I am almost like, I don't know, like, <laughs> you, you've you grown up, like, you're you're in your uh, mid to late 20s? Uh, it's early 30s, but thank you. Thank you for uh, not dating me as much. All I'm saying is, as a Patriots fan, during the Tom Brady, Bill Belichick era, Sure. You have known nothing but at least a very good team, if not all-time great team. So, I, yeah, uh, tell me, as somebody who has grown up with like just all the success in the world for your team, and also you know the Red Sox during like the start yeah. of that era, anyway, they were very good. Celtics had a couple championships. Uh, I mean, the the Bruins they're they're consistently a pretty good team. How does it feel? In contrast to all those playoff uh, <laughs> runs and like, I I'm sure we're just extremely stressful because, you know, I've, I'm a Ravens fan. So like I've, I've had a decent team at least for most of their existence. Um, but like, you know, it's, there is something to be said about not being just ripping your hair out, biting your fingernails all throughout the playoffs. Like it's nice yeah. to have a few Sundays where it's like, oh, I can just sit, sit down, watch some football, and not be super stressed. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, no, I mean. Like the entire my entire sports life up until now has been like I, I'm pretty sure I've been to like I don't know what uh, probably ten fifteen championship parades in my lifetime oh like my going back God. to when I was like eleven like I was eleven years old and my parents yanked me out of school to go to you know downtown Boston and go see the very first Pats parade um, and then all you know we're you know, cutting school and high school and stuff like that to go to, you know, the Celtics and Bruins parades and, you know, the Red Sox ones and stuff. And I mean, obviously now we're in a little bit more of a period of, uh, of mediocrity. Bruins and Celtics are still great. Uh, yeah. the Red Sox, I'm, I'm considering a boycott because of just everything that they've been doing. Um, not loving what the ownership group is doing there, but it's cool to see that the Pats are, you know, making some moves and potentially, you know, not afraid to like rip a few band-aids off and start fresh with some new faces and stuff like that. So uh, I'm just hoping that by the time my son is old enough to care about sports, that we're back to where we were when I was growing up. Yeah. I mean, I, I am finally enjoying a good Orioles team. So that is something yeah. that I'm not used to. I mean, I, I growing up, the Orioles were pretty good, but like not since the turn of the century. We've only had like two good seasons since 2000, I feel like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, both of my teams had such promise, both the Ravens and the Orioles, the two professional sports teams that I care the most about had great seasons this year only to fall short in the playoffs. So that's oh. heartbreaking in a different way than just having an outright bad team that you know is not making the playoffs from the start. 
Yeah, I would love to go to Camden Yards. Um, that's a that's definitely one of the baseball parks that I really want to go to. Fun fact: I used to actually work at the architecture firm that um, designed Camden Yards and uh, redesigned Fenway Park. So wow. they, did, they did the facelifts on both of those ballparks. And I would so. love to go to Fenway. I've only walked past it on the street. I've never actually been inside of it, but I have been to Wrigley. So I'm pretty happy about that. Yeah, that's 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 a good one. I feel like those are like really the big three when it comes to historic ballparks. I mean, yeah, now I, the I Yankee Stadium's can, gone. No, nah, yeah, just, yeah, we don't talk about them anyway. But <laughs> yeah, if you ever, if you ever do make it out, uh, you know, I'm, Back to this neck of the woods for a Sox game. Uh, you know, your first $18 beers on me. So, All right. Well, I will look forward to that. We had to do a little <laughs> bit of obligatory sports talk to kick off this sure. show just because Super Bowl, as of recording, three days away. And yeah. uh, it's, it was either we talked football or we talked Taylor Swift. So we went football. Let's start uh, like it. <laughs> so news in the gaming realm uh, was super dominated by stuff not coming to Nintendo platforms, it felt like. You know, we yes. had uh, the Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, which just looks fantastic. I can't wait for that game. Mm. Um, obviously, I've played a lot of it doing the cover story, and I also did the preview event a few weeks ago out in L.A. But uh, we did get some stuff to talk about on the Nintendo side of things over the last seven days. Uh, this is not coming to a Nintendo platform because it's not even a video game, but it's relevant to the audience. Uh, this actually hit right after... We wrapped up recording last week's episode. We received our verse, our first video teaser for the third Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Oh my god, yeah, yes we did, so, and the Knuckles trailer today. Yes, so it's been a, a good stretch here for the Sonic movie universe. So the, we'll start with the Sonic Three teaser. It's just mm-hmm. basically a moving logo with a little bit of music, uh, but it ends with a laugh. And at first, I was thinking it was a tease of Shadow, who they uh, they've teased or they've they've basically outright said is going to be in mm-hmm. Sonic Three. The laugh kind of sounded like Keanu or Hayden Christensen, who they've actually there's been rumors circulating that Hayden Christensen's actually playing Shadow. There's nothing been confirmed on that. Turns out the laugh was actually Jim Carrey. Yeah, uh, and then that was very shortly followed. I believe it was Variety who had the exclusive that Jim Carrey's coming out of retirement. I love it to step back into the role of Dr. Robotnik in Sonic the Hedgehog 3. And then shortly after that, IGN confirmed the following actors are joining the project. I don't know if you saw this, but it's a, it's pretty good cast. Yeah. Uh, Kristen Ritter from Breaking Bad slash Jessica Jones. Mm-hmm. Alila Brown from The Lost Flowers of Alice Hart, which I'm not familiar with. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Walk from Mad Men and Watchmen. Amazing. Um, Cristo Fernandez, who was uh, Danny Rojas in Ted Lasso. And then uh, Jorna, Jorma Takone from Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. And then, uh, you know, that's on top of the existing cast that they've confirmed is returning, including Ben Schwartz, Idris Elba, James Marsden, Tika Sumpter, Kalina Shanase, and Lee Majub. Majub? I'm sorry, I'm mispronouncing that. And then also uh, director Jeff Fowler is back again. So <laughs> what a cast for this Sonic movie. Like, I feel like they saw that, like, you know, the Mario movie had this unbelievable cast. And they had to level up their game a little bit. But like they a lot of those names I was uh, not expecting to come into this this uh, this uh, movie. Totally. I mean, it, it, it's it's almost like where the more Marvel movies have progressed. I mean, well. Now it's like they've got everybody they are ever going to need, but it's like, all right, we now we have these two more big actors, and then we also have to go back and pay everybody else to come back. So it's incredible that they were able to like get the whole band back together and then some. And Jim and then, Carrey again, what? And, and Jim Carrey, who is like, you know, by for all intents and purposes, he was like, Sonic Two is going to be my last movie. See you guys later. But to have him come back is incredible. I mean, they 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 gave him a 
and an out. They gave him an out in Sonic Two, uh, where you weren't really sure, and it was like, okay, you know, maybe Shadow's going to come back and he'll fill that vacuum for like the big bad. Um, but for him to come back, that's going to be really special, and I'm looking forward to it. And obviously, the rest of the cast is is fantastic. And um, you know, I think honestly, the best thing that could have ever happened to Paramount is the internet bullying them into submission with the original design oh, of yeah. the Sonic character. Because imagine where we were like three or four years ago versus where we are now. Like they they probably didn't even think they were getting past one, and now we've got three in a TV show. So a dream, like a literal dream that I had while I was sleeping, while I was a little kid, obsessed with Sonic the Hedgehog was that there was going to be a live-action Sonic movie. And I remember waking up being like, oh, man, it's so sad it's never going to happen. And it like looked so cool in my dream. And then like when it got announced that it was happening, I was like, no way, this is amazing, You know, like 25 mm-hmm. years later or whatever. But then the design came out, and I remember being like just <laughs> – legitimately like sad because not only like was the dream that I had about like a live action Sonic movie was like, Oh man, this is not the way that I like pictured it in my head. But also it was just like a time where like, you know, the Sonic franchise is on a pretty rough stretch at that point. Mm -hmm. And like, they were like, all right, well we're going to do a Sonic live action movie. And I just remember thinking like, man, this, this franchise that I love so much just can't get a win. And I like was just like legitimately sad because I remember like the the glory days of playing it on Genesis yeah. and then like the Dreamcast games and everything, the Sonic Adventure games and like wanting that to come back and like just feeling like, man, like this thing that I used to love so much and still do love a lot. But like, it's just like, man, it can't get a win. And then they changed it, changed directions, like figured it out. And it uh, I, I love the first two movies. I mean, obviously, yeah. there's some stuff I, I don't love about them. Like, it's not like a. a complete uh win on the entire movie all the way through like i think that like some of the human stuff is a little uh a little weird and a little unnecessary but uh overall very good movies and um i'm glad that they exist and i'm glad they're continuing to go and that third movie is coming december 20th and i cannot wait to see like who they actually do end up getting to play shadow i mean both hayden christensen and keanu reeves would be stellar 10 out of 10 picks 100 percent hundred percent. I mean, I, I feel like they have a, a a chance to do some very self-aware, like John Wick references with Shadow, depending on what version of the character we get. Uh, <laughs> and that, but I mean, Hayden Christensen also, you know, after the um, the Ahsoka and the Obi Wan Kenobi series, uh, you know, there was rumors that he had signed with a new agent and a new talent agency, and like was trying to get back into it. So I would love to see him get another big franchise like that to, to cling to. And I think that would be a, a great look for him also. Um, and then uh, one, I don't know if you saw, did you see um, uh, jury duty on Amazon prime by any chance? No, I want to, I've been, my, my mom has told me to check that out. The one with James Marsden, right? Yeah. So James Marsden is in it. And the, the one guy who doesn't know it's a show realizes who James Marsden is and he's like, oh, you, you know, James Marsden's like, oh, you don't know who I am? Like, I was in all these movies and he lists off a bunch and he's like, you know, the Sonic movie like just came out and the guy was like, man, I heard that movie sucked. (laughs) (laughs) And James Marsden looks so genuinely deflated and then he comes back like the next, the next episode is like day two of Jerry Duty and he goes, hey, I watched the Sonic movie last night in my hotel room, it was actually really good. And he's like, man, I'm so glad that you said that. I'm so glad you thought so. It was just wicked funny the way that that, that played out. But uh, God, I need I to watch people, that show. It's good. Um, 
I actually got to interview Ben Schwartz and James Marston for the second Sonic movie, and uh, they are fun together. I will tell you that. Like, mm-hmm. I joined the call before we were in recording. They were singing a song about Game Informer, and uh, <laughs> and then Ben Schwartz afterwards was like, "Oh, you know, I used to have a subscription to Game Informer," and I was like, "Yeah, well, hit me up if you want another one." And uh, they never did. So <laughs> that is the end of that interaction. <laughs> but no, they were very fun together, uh, and uh, I can't wait to see this third Sonic movie. I mean, introducing Shadow. I mentioned this, I did the last episode of the episode before, but Shadow is having a moment right now. The year you know, of Shadow. Sonic and Shadow Generations was announced a, a week ago, and then yep. um, Shadow is also in Sonic Superstars, uh, I think next week as like yeah. a, a costume. So that is coming out December 20th, still on casting watch for Shadow the Hedgehog, but uh, they're off to a good start on that cast front. Um, But then, as you mentioned already, uh, we also got a trailer this week for the Knuckles live action Paramount Plus show, which I was not expecting. I thought we were going to get this during the Super Bowl. Yes. And uh, I was surprised because like it starts in Sonic and Tails and uh, Tika Sumter and uh, Adam Pally, who plays Wade, are all in the movie. So like Ben Schwartz is doing some voice work for this. Uh, And then, of course, Idris Elba is the star of the show here. Uh, so good voice cast and good acting cast uh, for a spinoff Paramount Plus show, but it it looks like it could be fun. I, I'm not I'm still not sold on the overall premise, but it's all going to come down to the execution. So the premise is like Knuckles wants to train uh, Wade, who's kind of like the the bumbling police mm-hmm. officer mm-hmm. in like the ways of an echidna warrior. And I'm like, I just kind of <laughs> want Knuckles to be on like a quest on his own. Like just just leave the humans behind. Let Knuckles go do some cool Knuckles stuff. But if they pull it off, like it, it could be cool, I guess. I mean, being like kind of the fish out of water could suit this character pretty well. Like that was some of the funnier stuff in Sonic 2. Yeah. So it also is kind of feel it feels kind of like how Sonic was in Sonic 1, where he was the fish out of water just in general society. And now they're doing that kind of that kind of shtick again with Knuckles, where it's just like, here is the way I live my life. And like, I'm sorry that you're puny human worlds doesn't uh yeah <laughs> doesn't appreciate that but you know i mean obviously with sonic it was more like mischievous whereas knuckles is like throwing barbells around and building like <laughs> ancient fortresses like in their attic um it'll I'm be worried. cool though i mean I'm, it's, it'll be a six hour long knuckles movie which again at the child's version of, of ourselves the like six-year-old inside of me is like oh my god i know <laughs> a six hour knuckles movie so th- this is where i think the sonic universe might start to show a little bit of the cracks though, because the thing that they can do with the Marvel stuff and the DC stuff and all the other universes is there, there's more than one big bad. Yeah. And try as it has, has uh, try as it has in the, this several games that it's put out that don't feature Robotnik or Eggman as like the main bad guy they're all connected to Eggman in some way. So it's like, all right, well, like, who's the bad guy going to be? And the the trailer is like, oh, we used used to work for Robot. (laughs) Yes, they're doing like the MCU thing where it's like, I got fired by Tony Stark and now I'm a villain (laughs) or something like that. But it's Robotnik and it's the Hound. It's um, uh, Rory. I can't remember the actor's name, but. Oh, uh, it was. Yeah. Interesting. I didn't even pick up on that. But I mean, it's just it's kind of strange to be like all right well who's the bad guy gonna be if it's not jim carrey as dr robotnik and yeah it's not gonna be shadow because they're saving him for sonic 3 it's like all right well those are the two big like antagonists in the sonic universe like they're not gonna bring out like the what is it the 
the deadly six from Sonic Lost World? You, yeah, probably not. Probably yeah. they're they're like before we get too goofy with like Sonic lore. Um, let's just get a couple placeholder like evil geniuses or something until we know if Jim Carrey <laughs> is resigning. Um, but yeah, and and it's like uh, you know, I'm sure it'll be they're they're a means to an end. It's just like they're going to bridge the gap. You know, I'm sure they'll have some cool, goofy adventures with Sonic and Tails as well to um, set up the third movie. Um, yeah, that's exciting stuff right there. Is like, how are they going to be laying any like groundwork or doing any like nods to like what we're going to see in Sonic 3? Are we going to get a post credit scene for this one as well, like setting up Sonic 3 stuff further? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how they set up Shadow. Um, cause they, if I remember correctly at the very end of Sonic two, they tease him in like some underground base mm-hmm. or whatever, like waking up out of hibernation or whatever. Um, all the details that we're seeing and all like the teases we're seeing look like we're getting Sonic adventure to the movie, which is just insane to even think about, um, in a when good live way. and learn hits, oh. I'm going to oh. be in tears. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to need someone to hold my hand during that because I just, I, if if we get Sonic jumping out of a plane using a sh- scrap of uh, sheet metal to snowboard oh. down a hill and uh, City Escape starts playing, forget about it. I'm out of it. I, I can't, I'll, uh, I'm going to need to like practice breathing exercises. It's, uh... <laughs> all right. So we got Sonic the Hedgehog 3 coming December 20th to theaters and then uh, the six episode Knuckles live action Paramount Plus spinoff show. Start streaming. We finally got the release date as well, April 26th. Wow. So uh, lots to look forward to in the Sonic Cinematic Universe. Mm. So zooming in pretty closely to the world of Nintendo itself, we got the latest sales data from Nintendo. And uh, first up, the Switch has now passed the 139 million units mark in its sales, which that puts it uh, number three in all video game systems behind the PlayStation 2 and the DS. That's crazy. So uh, Nintendo has raised its sales forecast for the rest of the fiscal year, which goes through March. And the forecast predicts it will sell another 5 million Switch units through the end of March. And then uh, right now, we are trailing, the Switch is trailing the DS and the PS2 by just over 15 million units, which... I mean, I always thought like there's nothing that's ever even going to come close to the PS2 because of like the DVD capabilities and it being cheaper than it it existed Mm -hmm. at like the right place, right time where it was like it has a built in DVD player and it was cheaper than all the like regular DVD players. So people would just buy a PS2 instead of a DVD player. But now it's like the switch is like within striking distance of these like historic sales marks. And I mean, I, I know that we're all on like switch to watch at this point but like is there any chance that the switch catches the ds and the ps2 i think there's a good chance i think there's a good chance i mean it doesn't show any signs of slowing down um there are i mean pretty much every first party title is a console seller um you know they nintendo knows what it's doing and exactly what it needs to do to sell consoles and that's like not much just continue advertising Mario and Pokemon and you know I, I saw an insane stat that like Pokemon alone grosses more than Mario Harry Potter um, 
like Looney Tunes, DC, Marvel, and like something else put together. Yeah, it's the highest grossing entertainment franchise on the planet. Like just 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 automatically, even with a with just just on its own right now, without them hitting a button, it is still just consistently that big. So and people are always going to want a Pokemon fix. I always want a Pokemon fix. And um you know, and, and that's not to that's not to mention the other a million uh, absurdly good franchises they have so oh yeah uh, yeah i mean for a system that we probably aren't really looking towards any other really big releases specifically for the switch the original switch it's still showing no signs of slowing down um so yeah i mean i think there's a really really good possibility and honestly even when they do release the switch pro you're gonna have families who are like all right maybe we don't need that let's go buy the other one Maybe that'll be the the switch. Maybe gets dropped fifty bucks or something like that. The original one, and then they say, "Let's go buy the previous model," and then we'll put you up there for families with maybe younger kids or who don't really feel like they need an all powerful new console. So I think that's that honestly might even boost the original Switch's sales, kind of like the PS3 and PS2 did. I mean, I worked at GameStop in like two thousand eight, and like that was I think around the time where the um, the PS3 Slim came out. And Sounds like people right. were people were still buying PS2s. People were still buying PS2s by the dozens every single day. Um, so, and they they also re released the PS2 around that time too. They had like a, another oh, PS2 that. slim model, the, the really slim one. Yeah, it was like the size of a, a DVD case. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. Now that I've mentioned two of my former careers on this, I'm just like doxing myself all over this podcast. But anyway, um, <laughs> that's where I'm at now. Uh, but no, yeah, I think it has a good chance of catching it for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, I I just sold my dentist. I had a dental appointment this morning and I sold my dentist on getting a switch. I was even just like, Hey, you know, there might be a new one coming out like this year, early next year. Mm -hmm. So maybe you want to hold off. Cause she was like, Oh, should I get this for my kid? And then she was like, well, can you play like N64 games on it? I'm like, well, if you buy the subscription, (laughs) yeah, you can. And she's like, Oh my God, I might get it today. And I'm like, all right, cool. Have fun. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's a good system, obviously. Like <laughs> Yeah. I, I I think the Switch definitely catches the DS for sure. In terms of catching the PS2. I mean it's I less mean, than a million between those two, I think. Yeah, it's it is. It it's like just about just under a million. Um, so it's it's not a huge leap. If it reaches that DS, it's like I feel like they're gonna just make a huge push and be like, all right, deep discount, let's just get that yep. number one spot. Remember like this time last generation, people were like, should Nintendo go third party? <laughs> exactly. And it's like, buddy, they still have the best selling console pretty much since the PS2. So uh, yeah, they're just competing with themselves basically. And you know, it'll, I, yeah, we haven't hit that first really big price drop with the switch. I mean, we have the switch light, uh, you know, they got the switch OLED, but mm. I have a feeling that once the next one even gets announced and that first big price drop hits with the switch, That'll catapult it past the uh, PS2. That would be a huge accomplishment that I think everybody thought that was like, that was like the Lou Gehrig record of like, <laughs> never going to be broken. And then along comes yeah. Cal Ripken Jr. And uh, <laughs> exactly. wow, now that's unbreakable. But uh, yeah. we also got updated rankings for the top 10 selling Switch games of all time. And there was actually no movement in terms of the the rankings themselves, but just every game kind of upped their numbers a little bit and maintained their spots. So just to reiterate, number one, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Number two, Animal Crossing New Horizons. Number three, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. Four, Breath of the Wild. Five, Mario Odyssey. Six, Pokemon Sword and Shield. 
Seven, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. There's that Pokemon fix you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Eight, Super Mario Party. Nine, Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. And ten, New Super Mario Brothers Deluxe. Uh, nobody's catching Mario Kart 8 Deluxe at this point, but Scarlet no. and Violet is uh, picking up some some ground on Sword and Shield. And I'm assuming because like the expansions and everything had people picking that game up. And then Tears of the Kingdom has the most momentum and it is closing in on Super Mario Party pretty fast. But everything kind of held its place from the last quarter. So no big shifts or anything, even with Tears of the Kingdom, you know, having its first holiday season or anything like that. Like that's actually surprising to me. Uh, Oh, for sure. For sure. I thought Tears of the Kingdom was going to actually be maybe even above the Pokemon games and like closing in on Breath of the Wild at this point, given all the social media buzz that it had. But sure. I wonder if Nintendo looks at that as kind of like a disappointment that it's not up there already, because especially given like how huge that game was uh, May of last year. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. I I, I definitely agree. I think, um, I don't know, maybe it, there's, there was so many great games that came out last year too. And I think, you know, with Breath of the Wild, that was obviously seen as this, and it was this like huge reawakening for the franchise. No, oh, no yeah. pun intended there. Um, but like huge new, like, fresh take on the franchise and you know tears of the kingdom is still phenomenal but um maybe people have have feel like they have that fix they've had their fix already for that type of zelda game and and the hunger really isn't isn't there as much and also like breath of the wild was like the switch seller first um but then again you also have mario kart 8 which is just it is an essential game every household needs mario kart 8 in their house I mean, so, it's one of the highest selling Nintendo games of all time at this point, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Mm-hmm. Yes, Mario. Yeah, they can't forget the, the Deluxe. But yeah, no, it's it's yeah, Mario Kart and now 8 it did has not like sell well because right, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, I should say. And now it has like every Mario Kart map like ever. It's unbelievable. Uh, <laughs> it's they, just they, like they literally doubled over the last year and a half. They doubled the number of tracks and added insane. a bunch of new characters too. What was it like twenty bucks, or, or is that isn't it free with Nintendo well, Switch Online? Too? If you have online uh, expansion pack, it has it, it's no additional charge. And then if I think if you want to just buy it, it's only twenty five bucks for the that's insane the booster course pass. That's insane. So yeah, that is uh, that's well worth it. But great yeah, value. I'm interested to see if Tears of the Kingdom overtakes Super Mario Party by the end of March. Uh, I think we'll probably get those numbers in April, like the beginning of April is when we'll start seeing those numbers, but. It's a, I mean, the Switch runaway success at this point, I think we could say. (laughs) For sure, for sure. I mean, it is, uh, it is definitely, I mean, I've I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, it's probably my favorite console I've ever purchased with my own money, uh, which obviously doesn't count like a Game Boy Advance, which I think my mom got for me and, you know, stuff like that as a kid. But um, yeah, easily, I mean, it's never leaving my house. Like, it's just going to get given to somebody or something, you know, or, or maybe I'll upgrade it or something, but the switch platform will never leave this house. It is, it is essential and, um, it's only getting better. It's funny because I got a steam deck OLED over Christmas and I still play my switch when I travel. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, man, this thing is so much more powerful and I have like all my steam games on the go Mm -hmm. now and I'm still like, well, maybe I'll fire up my, uh, my switch. Yeah, I think I just need to like get more more recent Steam games on my Steam Deck. But all right, let's move on here. On Wednesday evening, we got some pretty huge news because Disney and Epic Games announced that they have entered into a multi-year partnership to create 
a new games and entertainment universe that will span Star Wars, Marvel, Disney, Pixar, Avatar, and the rest of their properties. And it's all going to be connected to Fortnite. Mm. So uh, Disney says it will give people a chance to create stories, share content, and express their fandom in new ways. So that's an interesting little hint there. And then Disney also announced (laughs) the most absurd part of this, investing $1.5 billion to acquire equity in Epic Games. (laughs) And this is, I mean, this is by far Disney's biggest push into the gaming space. And this is a company that, you know, has done Kingdom Hearts and Star Wars Jedi Survivor and Spider-Man 2. But this is this is a next level in terms of like pushing in. And, uh, you know, you have Bob Iger out here making comments about how like gaming is just exploding. And it's like, dude, it was, it's been exploding. Uh, <laughs> He's like, yeah, these newfound uh, newfangled video games. Yeah, we're going like to get on the Nintendo. <laughs> people. Yeah, <laughs> people buy their Nintendos. <laughs> people can play it on their paddles. You know, <laughs> is Atari still around? Uh, yes, it is actually. Atari's making big moves lately. Uh, yeah. But they they don't give us a whole lot of details. Like we saw, like some Frozen people. We saw like like the movie Frozen. We saw uh, Darth Vader, all looking like they're straight out of Fortnite. So that tells us a pretty big hint about like what type of engine it's going to be using. Well, they've said Unreal Engine because of course it's Epic Games. But they do say soon-ish at the end of the trailer. So we have no idea what this is going to lead to or when we're going to see it. But what was your reaction when you saw this? I mean, I think it's easy for – it'd be easy for somebody to say, especially if they don't normally – like if they don't keep track of Fortnite or if they haven't played the game, like it's just going to be Disney Fortnite or whatever. But seeing all the major upgrades that have happened within the Fortnite platform with the lego fortnite and the rocket league uh racing that they have now and all the festival the fortnite festival and then all the creative stuff that that's going on um and also having played a lot of the big events that they've had with marvel and with star wars and uh with indiana jones and now they have the ninja turtles one coming up oh yeah ninja turtle the ninja turtles one might be out today or tomorrow um they've never like i you know, I'm not a I'm not a huge anime guy, so I don't know if like any anime fans feel differently about the various licenses have that have been in there. But as far as I've seen, out of the, like the licenses that I care about that they've that they've used, they've never done anything but handle them with with the utmost care and reverence. Um, all the Star Wars events are usually a blast. The like Indiana Jones stuff got introduced during a season where there was like these hidden vaults all over the map and stuff. And then there's also always like a quest line with some NPC that's also from the property. Um, they had a they had a um, a whole thing with Thanos when Endgame came out where like you had to, like it, he would spawn on the map and you would have to team up and, and fight him. And I mean, the amount of, of detail and, and care that they've done is a lot more than just slapping a label on a, on something or, you know, putting a new skin out. They don't have to do that because it would sell anyway, but Epic Games clearly has when it comes to these licenses. I'm sure they're getting an, an absolutely colossal bag thrown at them every time, which gives them the capacity to make it that way. But I'm not worried. I'm I'm optimistic for it. I'm not worried about these licenses being there. And, you know, Fortnite is so much more than just, you know, the the clips that you see online and, you know, it's a lot more than like Ninja flossing in Times Square. Like it's a whole <laughs> like platform now. And 
it's going to be, I think this is just, this is going to be just the tip of the iceberg too. I have a feeling that we're going to see other, other studios and, and, you know, big properties that are going to be begging to be licensed by Fortnite as well. Once they see whatever Disney is cooking up. So they're talking oh, yeah. about creating experiences, um, being able to view Disney content, interacting with other fans, purchasing things. So they're probably just, I mean, just like Epic did with, with the Unreal Engine in general, it seems like they're doing it all over again with Fortnite as a platform to allow for those like more creative experiences. And I'm excited. I'm excited. I think it'll be cool. And um, there's, there's um, I, I think that where there's a will, there's a way. And where there's uh, a massive sack of money, there's probably going to be some pretty insane production values. So I'm looking forward to seeing it. I went, oh, oh, interesting. And that was pretty much my immediate reaction. But having thought about it a lot more, I think it's a great, it's definitely a great thing. And ultimately the fans are going to win. So I hope so. I, I mean, I, 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 it's hard to like, I, I'm not a big into like cheerleading, like these major corporations. Sure. Like, coming together and like uh, if anything we've seen that like corporate consolidation has just wreaked havoc on the game industry i mean epic games just laid off 800 people like four months ago Mm -hmm. and it's like now they're getting a 1.5 billion dollar investment it's like man that (laughs) that could have been used four months ago right Uh, not that they were ever really hard for money i bet but um you know it's uh, i do think that this could lead to some really cool stuff and when i saw it i was like wow that that's huge. Like the, not only the cash injection and, you know, Disney being the huge company that it is betting so big on the games industry at a time that, you know, we could really use some cheerleaders at this point, given like how, how dire the the situation. Kind of need that bankroll. Yeah. It would be, it's nice to see that companies are still like, even if it is like, you know, the clubhouse leader, basically that they're investing in, it's not even like, they're, they're seeing like a, a struggling startup, like trying to make some waves in the industry. Like, yeah. No, no the, the, the creator of the, the biggest game currently running and also the biggest game engine currently running. It's like, yeah, they're 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 basically like uh, LeBron James going to the Miami Heat. You know, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Right, yeah. Let's just go win a championship. Yeah, you go. can definitely look at it from a perspective of like, great. Well, like the rich get richer. And like, you know, uh, the, the, these, these big, big com- companies are just going to get these infusions. But honestly, if they're going to do something with this license, it's in the most capable hands possible. They already make the, one of the most successful and highly played entertainment products out there right now. So they might as well. Um, yeah. But it would be cool if to see, you know, what this leads to. I mean, maybe they end up investing. I mean, Disney also had the, has this big investment with Lucasfilm Games, which you know has only has only has a couple of projects under their belt now. But it would be cool to see them get you know maybe some indie developers involved who maybe they grew up playing Aladdin on the Sega Genesis or something, and now they want to make some new platforming titles that are inspired by those old ones. I mean, they did that uh, that Ducktales remake not too long ago. That was a lot, mm. that was a lot of fun. But it'd be cool to see them spread the love around. But I, I guess you know, considering what we're what we're gonna get, um, it it is in good hands. And the Unreal Engine. I mean, there's an existing relationship outside of games. Like the Unreal Engine. I mean, obviously it was used in some of the Disney games, like Star Wars Jedi Survivor and Kingdom yeah. Hearts Three. Both use Unreal Engine. But you know, they've used Unreal Engine for visual effects in a bunch of Marvel and Star Wars TV shows and movies. Like Thor: Love and Thunder. I think used like the volume, which utilizes Unreal Engine technology. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously the Mandalorian is notorious for its use of that tech. Um, 
So yeah, there's a lot of precedent there between these two companies working together. So now it's just like, this is basically like that couple that you've known that's been like together for like nine, 10 years. <laughs> and then they're finally like, hey, we finally put a ring on her finger. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, okay, cool. You guys are just making it official. <laughs> so we, are, exactly. we already considered you guys married, but now you're just like going to yeah. make it make it official in the, yeah. the the eyes of the law disney was just dragging their feet they were just dragging exactly. their feet. they weren't ready to commit uh they weren't ready to commit then they went out and bought the rock uh but you know we are such a far cry away from remember like 2008 to like 2012 every single movie or like animated series or something had a crappy video game knockoff oh yeah and like or not a knockoff but like a, a crappy video game port that like went to DS, it went to Wii, it went to, you know, PS2, Xbox, like previous gen, every, literally every console went to literally, like there was, if there was an animated movie, there was a Polar Express video game for Christ's sake. <laughs> you know, and it's like every, we are such a far cry away from that era where actual money is getting invested into, you know, being able to experience these worlds and characters that have been around for so long in new ways, which is great. Um and boy, am I just glad to see that instead of the like, come get your slop that we used to get. Yeah, just the quick cash in. Yeah, those were just designed for like parents and grandparents who didn't know any better to be like, oh, my kid liked this movie. Let me get him this for Christmas. Um, I mean, I think those adaptations are the, why characters like Batman always had a bad rap when it came to video games. Yeah. And then Rocksteady was like, hey, what if we just actually paid <laughs> respect to this character and put out Arkham Asylum. I remember reading about Arkham Asylum and this is relevant because it's on switch. Uh, I remember reading yeah. about Arkham Asylum, uh, oddly enough on, uh, in game informer back when I was in college and being like, I think it was like 2008 that I was reading about it and the game didn't come out till 2009. And I remember Ooh. being like, this game sounds so cool and it's so far away. Like it's never going to happen. <laughs> and, uh, now we have suicide squad kill. The Justice I had that game. issue. I had that issue at game informer, uh, the Arkham, the Arkham Asylum one with like the big spread on the uh, on the back cover. Yeah, that was, I, I mean, remember that one. That was a great cover. Um, and I think we did every other Arkham game yeah, I think on you the guys cover. Too. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. So that is uh, the epic and Disney news. Let's we have two more news pieces we want to hit before we take our first break, or I guess our only break of this episode. Have you ever been an Overwatch guy? I like the cinematics. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, I used to be an obsessive Overwatch player. Like I have over a thousand hours. I'm not good at it. So I, I, I just I would get on. I'd be awful, and I'd be like, "All right, I'll go watch people play instead." <laughs> so we're getting some pretty big changes for Overwatch Two Season Nine that starts next week. They are completely overhauling competitive, including resetting everybody's ranks and having them go through all the placement matches again, just because there's going to be such changes that I think that they want to recalibrate everybody right from the start. They're also improving the hit consistency across the board in the core gameplay. They're going to make the projectiles larger so they're more reliable in like how they hit enemies. And then they're also increasing all the heroes' health. And then uh, every hero will also start passively healing after five seconds, which is brand new. And then support mm. characters start passively healing faster than they used to. And then also they're uh, nerfing the healing if you're taking damage. So like if you're actively taking damage from an enemy you're and somebody's healing you, like it's less effective. I think it heals 20% less while you're taking that damage. Just so it's like people aren't just like constantly being like pocket healed the entire time and you just can't kill them. So that that's a good that's a positive change. Yep, yep. And I, the the whole 
thing here is they're trying to make the game more approachable to players. And what that tells me is they're they're hurting for numbers here because totally. they already went free to play with Overwatch 2 and it, that didn't do it. The battle pass has been an unmitigated disaster for the fan base. Um, they really lost a lot of people when they took that break after they announced Overwatch 2 and then they'd stopped making like meaningful content for Overwatch 1. Yeah, so that was a big miscalculation. They've they've admitted that to me as as as, as much. Um, they when I went to Blizzard last June, it was during Summer Game Fest. Actually, I visited the Blizzard campus and was the first person to play the PVE content that they put out last August, mm-hmm. and got to sit down with the director and sit down with a couple other people and play through the content and then chat with the director about it. And like, yeah, he he was like, yeah, well, we messed up doing that because that completely killed our community and that's why we got rid of the other pve content that, that remember there was that big news story circulating that they yes canceled the PvE content yes they canceled a certain kind of pve content because they were like we were devoting too much time to that and we weren't able to devote our other time to like these other things that people actually wanted from the game so right 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 they i think they realized that but now they're kind of trying to play catch up and be like all right how do we win these people back and i think this is a big attempt at that is like they're like all right well we got to either win our win back our old players which seems like a harder gambit to pull right like it seems like maybe the path forward that they're seeing is like we need to carve out a new audience and that's why maybe they're resetting all the competitive stuff and reworking every hero essentially to be more accurate but also have more health so it, I, I think it's going to be a balancing act over the next couple of weeks yeah it'll be it'll be definitely interesting and i mean there's only been kind of not great black clouds hanging over uh like the cdl and overwatch league as well so i mean it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of optimism just coming out of like any facet of overwatch right now which is a shame because it's a very cool universe and you know the characters are awesome and love stuff like that so much but um yeah it seems very grim for it right now i hope not i mean i hope that they they find a way to turn it around and give the people what they want whatever that is but um yeah it's 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 looking a little scary right now for uh for overwatch for sure yeah so overwatch season two or overwatch two season nine called champions launches next week and that game's free to play if you do want to check it out it's on switch i'd recommend you play it elsewhere though (laughs) uh but it is on switch so that's why we're covering it and then uh to wrap things up here in the news portion dom i know you've seen this rumors have been circulating out of control the discourse has been discoursing Xbox is going to be bringing first-party titles to other platforms. That's the rumor right now. We've been hearing rumors for a while that Hi-Fi Rush coming to Switch. And now it sounds like, uh, according to these rumors anyway, Starfield, Indiana Jones, and Gears of War also might make the leap to PlayStation. And boy, oh boy, has this sparked the biggest temper tantrums I can recall (laughs) among grown adults and the diehard Xbox fan base. Because... uh, I mean, it got to the point where Xbox just flat out had to put something out because people were like melting down on the Internet and like standing up on their their soapboxes in the middle of town square and being like, I am crying openly in front of the entire public. So Phil Spencer put out a tweet that seemed to confirm there's at least something happening around these rumors because he said, quote, we're listening and we hear you. We've been planning a business update event for next week where we look forward to sharing more details with you about our vision for the future of Xbox. Stay tuned. Mm-hmm. And also to coincide with this, I saw some news hitting uh, last night as we're recording this, 
that some retailers are starting to see some physical Xbox games getting canceled in their back end. So that's ominous. There's been a lot of interesting. Also, the uh, the Microsoft Game Pass rebrand, not Xbox Game Pass, but Microsoft yeah. Uh, Game Pass. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to see, you know, the grown adults who have like full time jobs and stuff, like just really this worked up over over everything. It seems like maybe that maybe there's there's some internal strife between Phil Spencer and the Xbox side of things and Satya Nadella and the more corporate side of things. Um, Satya Nadella has said in the past publicly that he wishes all games were multi-platform and you could just sell the games, which is fine. I mean, I, I, I'm an adult. I have my own money. I can purchase a console or, or a PC or both. And yeah, I just want to play video games. I don't really care what platform they're on. Um, outside of like middle school where I exclusively was a Nintendo household and then finally getting my own my own money and being able to like play games on multiple platforms. Um I'm pretty platform agnostic. Um and you know even though I have a PC, like I still prefer to play video games on my couch. So I'll play on my Xbox or oh, my same. Switch. Um <clears throat> we need to reject you know tiny 26 inch monitors and re-embrace big screen couch gaming that's my platform <laughs> in 2024 i think we um, need to reject the uh the tribalism that comes with console fanboyism yes that too because man this is this has been a rough stretch this entire week has been Brutal. a rough stretch for people being like renouncing their fandom of Xbox. I'm canceling my Game Pass subscription. This is ridiculous. Ba ba ba. Like, like I get being upset. I honestly sh- do. Like, if you invested all this money and like were a big fan of Xbox, and now like the future of Xbox and like all this stuff is being uncertain. But like, if they're bringing Gears of War to PlayStation, who cares? It's a. I mean, if it's the first one, <laughs> that's like a decade and a half old game. Yeah, it's. I mean, it, it, it's also wicked funny. It's two to decades see. old. There's so many like Sony related accounts that are like, oh yeah, like Starfield's coming to PlayStation when they've spent the last like two years <laughs> ripping that game to shreds as like the biggest disaster of the 21st century, which I like Starfield a lot, by the way. I've been playing a lot of Starfield and I think it's great. And they there's been all these like all these like Sony people are like doing these victory parades that Starfield's coming to their console, but it's not about the game. It's about like ha ha ha! Now these other Xbox people are sad, but yeah, we have a motto. We, like I don't know. I, I th- for me, it's like more people get to play these games. Yeah. That's a good thing. Like if Nintendo games started appearing on Xbox and PlayStation, I'd be like, that's rad because more people who maybe can only afford one console get to. Like I understand if like Xbox was like, hey, we got Starfield and it's an exclusive game. And then suddenly it was only exclusive for PlayStation and they took the Xbox version away. I would understand being ups- very upset about that. I'd be sure. like, I would be like yelling and screaming on the internet too if I was one of those people. But like, you can still buy it on your Xbox. Still yeah. play it on your Xbox. Exactly. And I mean, I think a lot of Sony fans probably feel like that because before the Microsoft um, the acquisition. Like acquisition of Bethesda, they probably thought they were getting Starfield. and they were, But then it was like, well, we never said that. And, you know, so they probably feel a little jilted from that. But, you know, I even feel that way about the Elder Scrolls. Like the Elder Scrolls was always multi-platform. Yeah. And now there is like no promise of the Elder Scrolls 6 
coming to Sony, uh, you know, coming to PlayStation when that releases in 2075. And, you know, but now... <laughs> but to be now fair, maybe. Skyrim sucked on PS3. That that was the most broken version of that, that. That, ver- that game. I remember uh, that. Oh, yeah. I, I hear you. Yeah. So, I don't know. There's games that have just... in franchises that have always been available everywhere that all of a sudden they're getting shipped off to the highest bidder, which always just doesn't feel great. But we have a motto on on Not Another Gaming Podcast, and it's just play video games, man. Yeah. So just, just be just happy. Play video just, games. Just, just just enjoy. Go enjoy things. Um, I don't know. I, I just I like more people being able to enjoy things. So I don't really have a problem with previously exclusive games going multi-platform. That's that's my take on it. And I hope that Hi-Fi Rush does come to Switch, and I hope Starfield does go to PS5. I think it would be a good thing overall. I think that's something that you know when we see stuff like. Phil Spencer tweeting out like, hey, congratulations to the PlayStation team on hitting all these sales numbers. And then you see all the the people upset that he's congratulating a competitor. It's like, why? Like yeah. a rising tide raises all boats. Yeah, 100%. I totally agree with you. And that's one of my favorite sayings. And and also that shouldn't be a hot take. It shouldn't It be. shouldn't be like a hot take that's like, hey, I really liked Starfield and, and Hi-Fi Rush was like this breakout hit that nobody saw coming. And- I think more people should be able to play it should not be a hot take. (laughs) Like I think more people should be able to enjoy these remarkable works of uh, that hundreds of people had to work on to make happen. The most amount of people should be able to experience these because they're beautiful. Especially given the the state of the industry right now where like make or break in terms of like sales, like we might lose thousands of jobs if this game doesn't sell well. Like, Yeah. Get it in front of as many people as possible. Give as many people to, as possible the ability to buy the game, uh, to play the game, to show that there's an audience for this game and future games, so you, that these employees are retained and and not let go without you know health insurance and a salary to support their families. Totally. Like yeah, P- let PlayStation people buy these games so we don't see more layoffs at these companies. So, hundred percent. Uh, We're going to take our only break of this episode, and when we get back, we'll be talking a little bit about the history of the Mario Party series. We will be right back. This week, 25 years ago, the games industry was changed forever. That's right. We received the very first Mario Party game here in the United States. Mario Party for Nintendo 64 became famous for plenty of reasons, and we're going to dig into the history of that first game, and then a little bit about how the series has evolved in the time since. Dom, before we jump right in, what is your history with the Mario Party series? Oh man, just a lot of bruised palms. Uh, (laughs) We will get into that as well. (laughs) Yeah, just a lot of bruised palms. Um, You know what's weird is, is one of my original memories of Mario Party, aside from playing it, was opening up an issue of Game Pro. And seeing, I don't. I, I swear to God, this has been imprinted on my mind as a like from from when I was a kid. I opened up an issue with Game Pro, and they always had like the fan art, mm-hmm. like fan drawing section in the front. And somebody drew this picture of like all the Mario characters like at a bar, like drinking and like doing karaoke, and like people like passed out on tables and stuff. And I was so offended as a child because I was like, "That's gross. They would never do that. That's Mario you're talking about." And like, I don't know why that was one of my original mario party related memories but when i think about it i can't get that image out of my head so whoever drew that i just want to let you know 
that for some reason that has stuck with me because I was so horrified. Most influential as a kid. piece of art in your life. That somebody, somebody, it horrified <laughs> me as a child that somebody drew like a picture of like Yoshi, like with a, a bunch of beers like surrounding him, like slumped against a. How a bar. dare they? How dare they do? How dare they depict a, an adult party with with Mario and friends? <laughs> but uh, but no, I love Mario Party. It was always a always a classic. I grew up with a bunch of siblings in my house, and um, so party games were always a were always a hit. And uh, yeah, that starts from day one with the N64 Mario Party. So yeah, I was always a big fan. Yeah, Mario Party 1 was my jam back in the N64 days. Uh, and that's what we're talking about here. So the series, originally developed by Hudson Soft, which was the studio behind Bomberman and the TurboGrafx-16. And even though Hudson was the primary developer, Shigeru Miyamoto oversaw development for that first title. And according to an IGN report that I dug up in from 1998, Nintendo was aiming to create something for a younger audience and for casual gamers to enjoy, which, you know, is a pretty no brainer. But it's also like good to hear that from from the horse's mouth, essentially. And uh, the development team also recruited Yasunori Mitsuda, who, if that name sounds familiar, he was the composer of Chrono Trigger. To do the soundtrack of Mario wow. Party 1. Yeah, I did not realize that until I was doing this research. Uh, and I found this is where I'm getting most of this information uh, in a Wada asks interview about Wii Party, and uh, but it, that was created by the Mario Party team. So uh, a lot of people from those early Mario Party games, uh, product manager Atsushi Ikeda, series advisor Shuichiro Nishia, and he started Mario Party Two, and then Hiroshi Sato, who has been the coordinator and producer throughout the series, and then Miyuki Hirose. And she was the coordinator for the series, starting with Mario Party 3. So these people have all been with the series for a long time. And then uh, development on Mario Party 1 started in 1996 in hopes of capitalizing on the then brand new Nintendo 64's four controller ports. And the only reason that the Nintendo 64 had four controller ports was because it had a CPU that was powerful enough to handle four-player split-screen gameplay. Right. And uh, the internal name during development was Mario Board because of the board game aesthetic, which is interesting. <laughs> uh, I don't think it would have sold as well if it was called Mario Board. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so according to Sato, the team was focused more on that board game concept than the party game concept at first. Uh, he said, quote, that was our original departure point. So we were focused on playing board games and mini games on the television screen. But we thought once again about what a party is. And as a result, we realized parties are about having a good time together with other people. So that's when they started to focus more on that multiplayer and the party game aspect. And according to the development team, one of the core concepts for Mario Party is that you don't need to necessarily be good at video games in order to win, meaning that any player could join the game and have uh, a little bit of hope that they're going to be able to compete. And Miyuki Hirose, she said, uh, quote, if someone like me who isn't good at video games joined and then kept losing, it wouldn't be any fun. But when even I can win sometimes, it's a lot of fun. I gave a lot of consideration to creating just the right balance in that regard, to which Nishia said, even if you lose, you might think maybe next time I'll, I'll win or I want to play again. We wanted to create a game that you would play over and over again. One thing we put effort into was one thing we put effort into was making a game that would be fair for everyone so that when family members play together, parents won't have to lose on purpose just for their children to win. Mm. that's that's a good concept right there I and mean, that's a very good starting point you know you had the mario characters and uh you know a, a game that kids can beat their parents and it it may feel a little unfair at times but that's that's part of the fun i think that's yeah. like the foundation yeah. of mario party there's been a lot of um i i get like a i've seen a lot of like short 
you know, skit videos of like a, a parent's live reaction to the their child winning like the end dice rolls at a Mario <laughs> Party game where it's like, all right, here's 16 stars just because just because you you hit the most most spaces or something like exactly. that. Exactly. You hit more blue spaces in. than anybody else. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or like, oh, we're gonna roll the dice and see who all of your stars go to. Um so yeah, I I can only imagine how many uh luckily there were no uh, sibling fist fights in my household over that, but um yeah, I can they definitely had some interesting mechanics to make sure that everything was kept level. Yeah, absolutely. And uh here's an interesting thing that I found was Ikeda also says that the main sticking point for Mario Party, like I guess when Nintendo was working with them, said that the team just had to preserve the Mario style. That's that's his description. But outside of that, the studio was given the ability to pretty much do anything. So like I guess as long as it didn't feel too crazy for the Mario team to be or the Mario characters to be doing stuff that they were able to just like go crazy with his, I think like he was talking about like, Oh yeah. Like Mario could like go to space and it would feel like normal or he could, sure, sure. you know, go on a pirate ship and it would feel fine. So like, as long as it was like, didn't feel like out of character for the Mario characters to be doing stuff, then it was, it was uh, okay for Nintendo to let them do that. And so the game features a board game structure where players roll dice, collect coins to buy stars. And then mini games happen between each turn and the uh, 50 mini games include everything from skill based titles and luck based games, but there are a few games that require you to rotate the analog stick as fast as you can. Ugh. And the one that immediately comes to mind what's, what's actually what's the one that immediately comes to mind for you? I, I so I was trying to I was like racking my brain last night trying to think of like the Mario Party mini games and. The only two that could that came to mind right away, I couldn't I couldn't remember the rotating ones, but the ones that came to mind were the one where you had to like trace a picture with a jackhammer. Oh yeah, it was like a big cookie or something like that, or maybe it was like in a desert and you had to like trace the picture with a jackhammer. Yep. And then there was the other one where um, it was like a mushroom mix up one where like they Toad would hold up a flag with a certain color and then you had to go jump on that mushroom before the other people fell off mm-hmm. or something yeah, like that. But I can't remember. It would, it would sink down. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can't remember the um the rotating ones though. I'm sure as soon as you say it, I'm gonna it's gonna be it's gonna come right to me. But so there's one where you're doing like a whitewater rafting mini game, and that one required you to rotate it, and it was like one person on one side and three people on the other side. And then uh, the one that was notorious though was the tug of war, where it was Bowser. Oh, on, that's uh, right. one one character was dressed up as Bowser, and they were going against the other three characters. That was the one where I think people were killing their controllers because they were rotating the stick so fast because like everybody was competing <laughs> against each other. Whereas yeah, like yeah. The, the whitewater rafting one, you were at least on a team trying to navigate uh, around and everything, I think. So it was designed for you to rotate using your thumb, but everyone immediately decided it was easier if you put your palm on the stick and rotated it that way. <laughs> and this, of course, led to broken analog sticks, but more importantly, uh blisters and burns and bruises that led to complaints being filed to New York's attorney's general office because of these like kids were getting hurt playing these games. Did it really? And I think it said like 90 complaints were filed to New York's (laughs) uh, attorney general's office. And that led to Nintendo of America settling, which it required it to send out protective gloves to any player that requested it that like showed that they bought the game and they also had to pay like $75,000 in legal fees for the state of New York. Wow. Uh, but today I was like, you know what? I bet that's a really cool collector's edition, like a collector's item. 
<laughs> so the I went Mario on eBay. Party gloves. Yeah, so I went on eBay to buy, like, see how much it would cost, and I can't tell you how much it would cost because I I couldn't find them. If I search Mario Party gloves, I find Mario's like white gloves for like a costume, mm. and it's probably because, as best as I can tell, only like a very very small percentage of people requested the gloves. And the very little gloves that were requested and sent out were just non-branded fingerless gloves. Mm. So it didn't say like Nintendo or anything on them. So like, I bet even if it just had like a tiny little Nintendo logo, those would be pretty hot collector's items. But I think it just seems like they just bought like in bulk a bunch of gloves and they're like, yeah, we'll send them to you if you want. But like, it's not going to be like something you want to keep forever. That's, that's, uh... It, it, you know, uh, Nintendo tried to get ahead of it with the Wii by, you know, shipping it with the straps. And then they still had to get the rubber bumpers for the for the Wiimotes later. So <laughs> people just can't help but hurt themselves while playing Nintendo games, which is which is probably why they were like, you know what? With the Switch, we're just going to you're just going to hold it. <laughs> you're just going to hold it. So we'll get to the Switch stuff uh, in a second, actually, because there is a there is some uh, some continuation of that story on the Switch. So oh, reviews of Mario Party 1 were overall positive, but uh, here's an interesting thing. Game Informer has a particularly bad history with the Mario Party franchise. So we gave Mario Party 1 a 3.5 out of 10. <laughs> and the scores did not get much better throughout the rest of the early days. I think up to like Mario Party 8 or 9, like the scores were pretty abysmal. Uh, I think Mario Party 4 on GameCube got a 2 out of 10. I think that was the low point in, oh my God. in terms of like Game Informer scores. And in response... To the first two reviews, which were very low and like not in line with the rest of the, um, the the critics, Nintendo actually sent a sarcastic plaque to Game Informer in February of 20, or, uh, 2000, which we still have to this day. <laughs> it says it looks like a like an award plaque, but it says like it has the Nintendo logo at the top and it says Nintendo appreciates and then on a ribbon Game Informer. For their well-written and glowing reviews of Mario Party and Mario Party 2, and it's signed by then-chairman Howard Lincoln and then-president Minoru Arakawa, which <laughs> that is, is that amazing. is unbelievable. Nintendo would never do that now. Can you imagine anybody doing that now? <laughs> I just love that. Like it's something that we had displayed in our office for twenty years. Before we uh, we close that office, and but now we have it still. In Please game. send me that. Send me a picture of that at some point. It, it, I, if you search Nintendo Mario Party plaque or Game Informer Mario Party plaque, it's easy to find on Google. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a fun piece of Game Informer and Nintendo history. Wow, there it is. But wow. uh, Mar- Mario Party One, sixteenth best selling Nintendo sixty four game of all time, two point seven million units sold. But uh, Nishia who I talked about earlier, he only joined in Mario Party 2 because he saw that the first Mario Party game that his coworkers were working on, he thought it looked like a fun game to work on. So he decided to jump over to Mario Party 2 development. He joined as an advisor. And according to him, the development team came up with so many mini games during development of Mario Party 1 that it made it easy to release the first three Mario Party games on N64 one after another. I believe it was three consecutive years that we got a Mario Party game. And uh, then they did a year off and then they did four games for GameCube. And he said, quote, we didn't use them all up at once, but said, let's use that idea next time and kept a stock of ideas. And then Akeda said, we would come up with hundreds of minigame ideas and then pick out ones that were right at any given time and then use the others next time. I think continually doing that was the secret. And then Nishia also says that a huge factor was that with each new game that they put out, some people would leave and then new people would join the team. And that would bring a whole 
new group of ideas to add on to the ones that the existing team had already stockpiled. So it was just like a constantly growing suite of mini games. And then uh, Sato said the team felt like it always needed to try to innovate to keep the games feeling fresh while still feeling familiar to like the Mario Party series. And Nishia had a quote here that said, we had always wanted to make Mario Party a game that families could enjoy together during the holidays. So we would needed we needed rules that would be easy for everyone to understand. Of course, we had to keep things fresh, but we wanted to preserve the basic form as well. Keeping it familiar and comfortable was important to us. And then uh, luckily, a new person came forward each time with a new idea to serve as the core and highlight of that game. I think we've always been able to continue the series for so long because players could always say this is a little bit different and new. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's the core of the Mario Party series right there. And then uh, Hudson Soft made the first eight mainline Mario Party games, plus Mario Party Advance and Mario Party DS. But in 2012, Hudson was folded into Konami and the Nintendo owned ND Cube, which was mostly known for F-Zero Maximum Velocity and the Wii Party games. Uh, this part at this point the Wii Party games took over and uh, a lot of the original Mario Party developers actually jumped from Hudson over to ND Cube so it's basically like the same team continued just under a Nintendo owned studio instead of Hudson and then since taking over as the primary developer ND Cube has released Mario Party 9 for Wii Mario Party Island Tour Mario Party Star Rush and Mario Party the Top 100 all for 3DS Mario Party 10 for Wii U and then Super Mario Party and Mario Party Superstars for Switch. Mm. And then outside of the Mario Party series, ND Cube has also done Animal Crossing Pocket Camp for mobile devices, Animal Crossing Amiibo Festival for Wii U, and Everybody One to Switch for Switch. So oh. uh, yeah, they've they've been busy. And I, I Mario Party Superstars rules. That's like the greatest hits compilation. Yeah, that's like your Mario Kart Eight Deluxe version of Mario Party. Where you really have is. like every the every map that you could want, any mini mini game that you could want in beautiful remastered glory. Absolutely, and it's also worth noting in 2019, uh, Shirichiro Nishia, the guy who thought that working on Mario Party seemed like a fun game, so he jumped over for Mario Party Two. He became the president of ND Cube in 2019, so uh, he is he's the head honcho over there now. And it seems like uh, all those other people that I were, was giving quotes for are still at ND Cube working on the Mario Party franchise. So uh, I'm not going to go down the sales of all the games, but the notable leaders of those. I, mean, I mentioned Mario Party 1 was the 16th best-selling game in N64 history. Mario Party 4 is the 8th best-selling GameCube game of all time. Mario Party 5 is number 10 on, on GameCube. Uh then Mario Party 10 is the 10th best-selling Wii U game of all time. And then, as I mentioned during the news segment, Super Mario Party has currently sold more copies than Tears of the Kingdom, sitting at number eight on the yeah. best-selling games on Switch. So what is your favorite Mario Party game of all time? I think the original. I think the original is, is still my favorite. I also really enjoyed Mario Party 3. I think that was the one where they started getting really out there with the maps and, you know, like you were saying, like going to space and then they had the, the Western themed one. And it wasn't just the characters, like they had the different outfits and like the different aesthetics to to the maps. And it felt a lot more, a lot more like with that Mario charm. Um, and it's also just cool to see the characters in a different environment or like a different biome that, that you wouldn't normally find them in. Um, but ultimately, I mean, I think Mario Party Superstars is like the tops 
Um, so it's, if I'm going to go and, you know, if I'm stuck on a desert island and I got to pick one Mario Party game, it's obviously going to be Mario Party Superstars because I want to see those mini games and all of their remastered glory. But um, yeah, I do have a copy of the original Mario Party at home. So maybe I'll try to fire that up later with my wife and I'll see if um, I'll see how, how those tug of war games aged uh, and see what happens to my hands. Make sure you use your thumb instead. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I think Mario Party 1 is the one that always sticks with me. And I do appreciate that they tried some new stuff, but the stuff that they tried with like Mario Party 10 just did not work. Like, I think it was like 8, 9, no. and 10 where they, they put them all like in the same vehicle instead of like individual characters running around on the, yes. uh, on the board game. That just did not work at all. Like, I'm glad that they've gone back with Super Mario Party and Mario Party Superstars of having everybody like walking around individually and, and like doing it like an actual board game mm-hmm. because everybody traveling together and like it just it sucked. So I'm glad they did that. Do you? Have, <laughs> but yeah, Mario Party One is like my nostalgia pick, but Mario Party Superstars is the uh, the current favorite one. It's kind of like how like I would say like Super Mario Kart is my favorite Mario Kart game of all time, just because that was like the nostalgia play. But like Mario Kart mm-hmm. 8 Deluxe is easily the best Mario Kart game. Um, totally, totally. What about it's the definitive, the definitive experience? Oh, definitely. Do you have a favorite mini game that, that comes to mind? <sighs> I mean, it's got to be. I mean, those those first two that I mentioned were the the first ones that came to my mind because I still have like so many like core memories of like just shouting at. It's almost like when you play like Pictionary or something with someone and they they draw like an awful picture and it's supposed to be something else and like that's where all the laughs come from yeah the that i can't remember the name of the mini game but the one with the jackhammer where you got to trace the pictures of the faces mm-hmm. that was always hysterical to me and then i think i remember oh maybe this was a WarioWare game where you had to like pinch the faces into a certain shape and it was like a parody of the mario 64 i think that was game. mario party i think it was. was it i think it's i gotta i gotta look it up um yeah, face uh, facelift. Yeah, yeah, facelift. Okay, yeah. So that one, yes, that That's is the one. Facelift was the one because it was it was a parody of the Mario uh, sixty four like the opening screen, main screen, and you had to get the face to match the goofy one in the middle. And yeah. I just remember dying laughing with like my sister and my brother playing that because oftentimes it would just devolve into us just making the face look as stupid as possible and didn't even and like nobody like I, we just would see who won but yeah i remember that being a, a big one yeah that, that was always a great one that's one of my favorites as well um facelift and the tug of war one just because like everybody has that shared experience of putting their palm on the controller and injuring themselves <laughs> yeah. uh last question i'll throw your way do you have a direction you'd like to see the series go from here because you know we had the greatest hits compilation so like what's next yeah you know it's so interesting because like in a in an alternate universe where nintendo really has a focus on online or like a live service type thing they would have went out and got the fall guys people to reboot the series and have like a live service mini game thing that they continually upgrade with dlc and and everything like that that's truly something that you can jump in with your buddies and play online or you know yeah like a real you know i would love to see like a mario i mean it's it might make people some people roll their eyes but like a mario party version of like a fall guys where you have like a live service game where you have you know the entire maybe the point is to fill up the whole lobby with you know 20 30 different mario characters everybody picks one sure there could probably be multiples of the same people but you know 
I just can't help but imagine a world where like Nintendo really shifts their focus into a an online game like that. I mean, I think that would truly be a an amazing experience and not just the four player couch co-op, which obviously is beautiful and I love my couch co-op games, but I would love to see them develop something that's more online and more focused on getting more than just four people into the party. Now, this reminds me of when Super Smash Brothers Ultimate wasn't like uh, revealed and it was like everybody's here that that famous trailer and i was like wow there's so many characters here and this was like the peak of like the battle royale craze and i was like you know super smash brothers ultimate would actually be a good format for like a battle royale mode Hmm. like just have it be super smash brothers where you're fighting each other and then as each player is eliminated you know the the screen keeps shrinking because you know the whole object is to throw them off the screen so as players are eliminated, the screen keeps shrinking and shrinking and shrinking until you're down to like the last few players. And then like the last one standing is the uh, the winner. And I was like, that would be a really cool thing. Like everybody chooses a different character and everything. And I wrote an article about that while I was at E3, whatever year that was, 2018, 2019. And uh, it was met with death threats. <laughs> so good luck, Dom. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Uh, now I kind of wish that you blurred out my uh, my government name in the uh, beginning of the podcast. Um, you can just say Dom instead. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I don't think that's, I don't think that's, is that that wild of a want to have like a, you know, a game where dozens of people can play as their favorite Mario characters and that there's like a more competitive aspect to it i don't think that's too crazy no well, i'm not covered, saying i want as we covered in the news segment there are some uh some people who are very passionate about their their gaming opinions we'll say sure that. sure that's true that is very true <laughs> i'm not um, saying all gamers are like that no no i think, I yeah, think the vast, no. vast vast majority is uh very well reasoned well adjusted individuals yeah, I mean, I consider myself pretty well adjusted too. So I, I think you know, I don't think that's too crazy of a of a thing. And hey, throw in an online and offline mode, like a classic mode oh, that absolutely. you can play. Obviously, I mean, we all know how it goes when games are strictly online all the time, even when they don't really need to be. But um, yeah, I don't think that's. I mean, in a perfect world, <laughs> I'm not saying just throw a bunch of Mario skins into Fall Guys. I'm saying make a live service Mario Party game that more than four people can play at once. I think we'd get all the homies online for that. That'd be fun. Mario Party '99. Just do like the mini games, like yeah. They were yeah there you go. See, the boom. There you go, Mario. See, now you just brought it back into the. That's a more palatable thing for most <laughs> Nintendo fans. So Mario Party ninety nine. There you go. From your lips to God's ears. <laughs> if you want to uh, check out any Mario Party games on your Switch, uh, Mario Party one, two, and three, all available on Nintendo Switch's uh, expansion pack. If you do the online subscription. Through the Nintendo 64 library, Switch also has Super Mario Party and Mario Party Superstars. Very confusing names. Super Mario Party is uh, the single Joy-Con. You turn it sideways and play that way. And it's basically an all-new entry in the series, while Mario Party Superstars is the aforementioned Greatest Hits compilation uh, from the entire series, plus several boards, I believe just from the first three games, which is kind of cool. And then, presumably because of the stick rotation games, Mario Party 1 actually did not arrive on Wii or Wii U Virtual Console. That means that the Switch version was the first time it's been re-released on modern platforms. And uh, in case you're wondering, the stick rotation games are in Mario Party Superstars, but Nintendo puts a disclaimer warning uh, telling players to not use their palms and because that they need to avoid hand injury and stick damage. <laughs> and a similar disclaimer appears when you start up the Nintendo Switch Online version of Mario Party 1. But of course, we all just do it anyway. Yeah, of course, of course. But they had yeah. to do that so that we can't like raise a stink with them again. But uh, 
Dom, anything you want to say? Any parting shots for the Mario Party franchise before we uh, close up shop here? Give me Mario Party 99. And uh, I, yeah, I mean, I, I would like to see the game do well. I mean, I think that Nintendo kind of took their own lunch money with WarioWare because that always like scratched the party game itch so much better for me. And so maybe they, I don't know, maybe put them both together. Wario Party 99 is the, is Wario the future. Wario Party 99, that's the future of gaming. Heard it here first. <laughs> Dom, thanks so much for joining me for this episode. Of course, thank you. I got a hidden gem for you if you want one. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you want to do a, a quick eShop gem of the week, uh, let's yeah. hit me with it. I do. Okay, so this is a small, uh, This is, it's a uh, you know JRPG turn-based, turn-based game. Um, got a great cult following. Um, it's called Super Mario RPG. Okay. Um, I'm just kidding. No, but I do want everybody to buy that game as much as possible so that we get a true sequel. Anyway, no, I do have one. Um, actually, it was in headlines a little bit recently because it wasn't available on PC or Xbox for a little while. Um, it's called uh, The Sinking City. Oh, okay. um, it came out a couple of years ago. Um, the Sinking City is based in Massachusetts. It is like a Lovecraftian mystery kind of survival horror-y type, uh, type game. Uh, you play as a detective who com- comes to this town that's literally sinking into the ocean. Um, and you have to, you know, investigate the different, you know, these like weird eldritch sea creatures. Game Informer gave it a 7.5. So you already know it's good. Um, and the switch port is actually really good. It's, it's a very solid, it performs pretty well. Um, and it was, there was like some weird, um, copyright dispute, where it actually got taken off of Steam and I think off of the Microsoft Digital Store because of the copyright dispute. So the Switch was like the only place you could play it for a little while, and you still can. So I really like The Sinking City. I'm sure it's like 20 bucks on on the eShop. Um, that's where I bought it anyway, and I think that game's really good. So if you need like a horror fix, it's a good one. This might shock you, Dom. It is currently on sale. Not the regular digital edition, the deluxe digital edition. The regular digital edition is $50. Okay. The deluxe digital edition, normally $65. Through the end of February, it is 10 bucks. Look at that. See? So Boom. if you want to get it, and uh, that sounds like up your alley, it's uh, 10 bucks. Like now is the time because that yeah. deal expires uh, February 29th at. Uh, 1.59 a.m. Central Time, it says. There's some puzzles, some spooky stuff, some survival horror. It's good stuff. But Dom, thanks so much for joining me for this episode. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. And I uh, just wanted to give a quick shout out. Uh, my best friend, uh, Johnny Rupia, uh, he listens to all things Nintendo. He says his second favorite gaming podcast. Uh, you know, And uh, his daughter, uh, who is turning four very soon, refers to this show as The Whistle Show because of the... <laughs> because of the intro, uh, whenever he puts it on in the car with her. So um, happy early fourth birthday, Riley. Wow. Well, thank you for listening to uh, this episode of The Whistle Show, Riley. (laughs) Uh, And thanks so much to everyone else for listening. Do me a favor, if you haven't already, throw all things Nintendo a five-star review and hit that subscribe button. If you want to get any questions or comments in, you can get in touch with me at allthingsnintendo at gameinformer.com or hit me up on social media at Brian P. Shea. You can also join the Game Informer community Discord, which is a perk for subscribing to our Twitch channel, even just for one month. Dom, tell everyone where they can find you on the internet. 
Yeah, you can find us over at uh, twitch.tv slash wickedgoodgaming. You can also see uh, all the written stuff at wickedgoodgaming.com. We are a uh, Boston-based video game blog and podcast. Been going since 2016. Uh, and Not Another Gaming Podcast is available on Spotify and everywhere else you get your, your fine podcasts, such as All Things Nintendo. And we go live every week uh, and on Thursdays, and the new episodes drop every Friday on Spotify and everywhere else. I still rock my Wicked Good Gaming uh, t-shirt every now and then. Love that. Love that. we got to get you a new one. Oh, there's a new one. All right. Well, if there's a new design, I'm, I'm in. <laughs> that is our right. show for this week. Thank you again for listening. Take care. We'll see you next time.